For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to Herd Tell. All right, he's back. He's one of our favorites. Peter Pisky's back with us. He's a reporter. He's a great journalist, good friend of the program. How are you, sir? Great to have you back. Howdy, howdy. Great to be here again. I'm doing well. Great. I uh, I love having you for culture stuff because I'm pretty upfront. There's a lot of this stuff I just don't understand. It's not my thing. It's kind of a foreign language to me. So I'm glad you're here to explain it to me. Let's start with a big ticket item that kind of got on everybody's radar this week, and then we're going to get into some other stuff because it does touch on gaming culture and news media and how it crosses over. Uh, for folks that don't know, there's a new Harry Potter game out, Hogwarts Legacy. There's been a lot of press about it. It's very, very popular. It's selling really well. It's rated really highly. But anything with Harry Potter, people get into the J.K. Rowling's things. They get into the controversies with some of her personal opinions, even though she doesn't really have anything to do with the game other than creating this world and these characters. Just for folks that don't know, kind of explain it for a minute, because this is one of those things where there was trying to be a backlash on it, but the thing's so popular, the backlash doesn't really seem to work. Or as one gaming journalist wrote, this is going to be a referendum on J.K. Rollins. Well, the referendum is people just want to play the game, it looks like. <laughs> no, and that's correct. It, there's a, It's a good news, bad news situation. Uh, the good news is the game is excellent. So Hogwarts Legacy is the seven-year endeavor by... Avalanche Software, uh, on behalf of their publisher, Warner Brothers, of course, who owns the license to Harry Potter. And uh, this is basically, you get to live the fantasy that you kind of wanted when you were a kid, when you read those books. Um, it's I was playing the game just last night. It's pretty good. People are pretty happy with it. I would say it's around an 8 or 9 out of 10. That's where most people are scoring it. Um, there has been some backlash, not because of anything the game has done or really the game developers, but because of JK Rowling's comments on transgender issues, you know, the stuff with uh, women's shelters and bathrooms, um, many people, particularly on the left. And so that includes a lot of people in media say that she's a turf, which is trans exclusionary radical feminist. I don't know how accurate that is, to be honest, but that's how people label her. And so this idea popped up and it became part of the mainstream was that if you bought this game, that somehow those dollars would then go to J.K. Rowling and then she would use those dollars to hurt trans people. Now, all of this, if you think about it, is silly because she makes more money selling bookmarks for Barnes and Nobles and Walmart. I mean, then she gets for any game. I mean, she's she's a billionaire. She's one of the richest people on the planet. So. If the game sells, the game doesn't sell. That doesn't affect J.K. Rowling all that much. Um, I think the good news here is that it used to be with media, particularly from uh, gaming journalism, that if they really hated something, they could gang together and they could try to kill it. And there were many cases of that, especially prior to 2016. Um, but what we're learning now is that despite all the hate in the media, despite so many people telling you, if you play this game, you're a very bad person, it hasn't worked. The game is... Um, outselling records it's outpacing even the best expectations for it it had uh yesterday over 1.2 million people on twitch streaming the game so that's people who are playing and then other people are watching them and that doesn't include everyone that's just you know 
playing the game right now. So it's a mega super success. It's a great game. It's really nice to see uh, that it is doing so well. It is a little sad that the juice that the gaming press used to have doesn't seem to be there anymore. But in this case, they were choosing to use it for uh, in a wrong way. Yeah, Peter Pisky joining us. We need to explain something here, though. Our My friend uh, Jay Bird over in Ordinary Times wrote this up when this kind of broke out at the end of last week and over the weekend. He pointed this out, and I want you to explain it to folks that aren't real familiar with how gaming works, especially business gaming like Twitch, like streaming, like writing about video games, covering video games. That's a specific niche business model now, and Jay really laid this out good. He's like, what happened here was the big-time streamers got the game early. And this backlash really started because everybody started dogpiling the gamers that got it early of why are you playing this game early? Because that was just a handful of people. But then as soon as everybody had access to it, everybody started playing it. It sure looks like this was one of those things where it was everybody kind of want to project that. Look, if you got a problem with J.K. Rollins, I have no problem with you boycotting the game. It's your money. You're allowed to protest whatever you want. Fine and dandy. But we got a little bit of data here, and I think Jay was right to point it out this way. They just jumped on the early folks, but then as soon as everybody else got it, everybody else was just playing it anyway, too. It does look like this was a little bit of the online didn't actually match what people were actually doing once they could just settle in and play the game. Feels like a lot of projection going on here. Definitely. It is It is sad how often the reality of what actually happens with gamers, what they want to play, what the discourse is, doesn't match what is being pushed in the press or you see on social media from uh, big or verified outlets. That is actually a very common thing, but it doesn't get talked about all that much because to point it out, it says the people that are in charge or the, that are the official voices for these things maybe aren't representing the the player base like they should. I, I think it, this is, of course, it's an issue of the Streisand effect. When Jonah Goldberg coined the term, it's when Streisand didn't want people to be able to see her summer house on the coast. And then just talking about how they weren't allowed to talk about it made more people interested. Um, I would also uh, say that people do not like being told what they can't do. And when they had with those initial influencers, when we had people, you know, these activists that say they're trans activists, and they would go onto Twitch and they would start saying really, ugly comments encouraging others to do so there's a particular twitch stream that went viral you can find youtube where the guy this guy is gaming with his girlfriend and she was just checking the comments and she has to leave the room crying because it got so vicious people really hate that they they don't like you know being so controlled especially when it's something that is pretty up in the air is this really going to hurt trans people or not and having everyone decide for you people hate that which I like, I like to see that. I like to see that people still have open minds and are willing to decide for themselves. Uh, but it is sad that it was even necessary in the first place. Yeah, this leads to something we've been talking about a little bit. Peter Pischke joining us. Gaming culture is its own thing. I don't think it's fair to call it niche anymore because it's really big business. So I think niche or things, I think that's almost downplaying what it is. Gaming culture, the business of gaming. Look, video games is integrated in everything because every movie has a video game. Shows have video games. It's anymore it's its own entertainment sector for lack of a better term right it's like movies it's on that level almost but the media coverage of it there's two sides to this when the mainstream media gets a hold of something like the hogwarts thing like the g4 thing we're going to talk about in a little bit pick whatever there's been a couple examples they don't really know how to cover it other than inside of their own templates and you're a journalist you know how that works and then the other side of it is, is the folks that are inside of that bubble 
don't always communicate or present to the outside world their best foot forward because they're used to being inside of that world. Is that a fair way to put it? Because I don't think we're getting good media coverage when something like this happens from either side. I would agree for the most part. Uh, there, there are several issues really why that is. For one, the mainstream press are full of people that don't they don't really consider gaming as a big part of their lives. It's not something they think a lot about. That's probably because the mainstream press versus the gaming press, there is a bit of a, a median age difference there. Uh, mainstream press is probably people who are older. They come maybe from a more upper class background. No offense to them. Um, I think the other issue is that even though gaming is huge, I mean, it's there. there's many more dollars being sold every year for video games than movies, television, books, etc. But the coverage of it is pretty niche. I, there are a couple of reasons why that might be besides like the gaming press is very political. They're kind of they have an activist mentality. Um, this ter- the gaming is not a niche uh, culture, but there are many niche terms in it. And so that's very focused on a smaller audience. And you can see even when there is success, when the, the gaming press crosses over and does well in the mainstream, they, they usually aren't allowed to be there all that long. We just had the Washington Post, which closed Launcher, which in the world of the gaming media was actually a very successful venture. But they're just to the Washington Post and Bezos. They just didn't seem to be enough money there. So they let go. And we are, of course, seeing firings in gaming media across the board, even as games are selling better than ever. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Peter Pitsky, again, this is a little bit of a culture thing for folks that aren't familiar with it, but this ties into the G4, and we'll get into your interview with Frost here in a minute, but G4 came back and disappeared. It was a channel about video gaming. Part of the problem with the press of video games is kind of, it's almost like YouTube on steroids, the way Twitch works, the way streaming works. Every you, We want to talk about everybody becoming their own journalist. Everybody really is their own gamer here. It's really hard to get a business model where just about anybody can tap into the money stream themselves. Some of this feels like there's an evolution in the business models and the coverages and trying to set these things up in the gaming world or in the gaming press to be specific under the old rules of how you would do, you know, like a newspaper or a network TV system. It's not just going to match up because these folks are streaming in real time. They're putting out information in real time. There's no delay. It's very immediate. That's just a totally different world that I'm not sure corporate media has fully enveloped. But we now have a whole generation of gamers. That's their natural ecosystem. Is that part of the problem with the business model and all this right now? That is definitely a large factor of it. I think maybe you don't see that the big corporate networks like NBC, ABC, CBS, 
um, the big newspapers. But I think for most smaller journalists, people who are independent, who work on medium to small outlets, they realize that they are no longer competing against other reporters, journalists, and you know, uh, writers. They are competing against everyone else that wants your attention. And when it comes to news coverage, it's not just you and the other news guys. You're also going against people who are on YouTube, people who are on the social media, so like Twitter or Facebook. Um, you know, uh, there are even smaller platforms, which in their own ways get used similarly. You know, they have platforms. Oh, I mean, it's actually pretty big, but to people who are aware of it, Discord is another one. I think gaming, it's to that, but to the 1000th degree, because gaming media, the people who are in charge of it were so kind of bent not positively towards their audience that they led an opening and so you have all these people who are on youtube all these people who are on twitch and they can command you know some of these guys millions of people at a time and that model is out competing the typical uh video game news model and so we're seeing a lot of change there it is really interesting because you have all this money games bigger than ever and the game press seems to be shrinking but the youtubers who cover gaming uh, they are doing just fine. Yeah, Peter Pitsky joining us. He's also the uh, host of wonderful CultureScape podcast. You got a lot of attention, and you got some of that game press attention with your interview with Frost. The G4 thing I just mentioned, again, just kind of give the background here before we get into that. Why? Because this goes to a lot of this. They brought back G4, and it didn't work. Again, it failed pretty quickly. And the whole thing with that, and you give the full background on this, things changed. It wasn't a great model to start with. And then the things that had happened since then made it even more tough. And then that gets into the interview and the controversies because it, a lot of that goes to some very core things. Who is your audience? What's your responsibility to your audience? How do you understand your audience? What does the audience owe you and what do you owe your audience when it's a shifting landscape, culturescape, not to use a pun on term, that's that's shifting under their feet as they're doing it and it, the company's failing and people are getting flack that's just a lot of really cross streams to all these core issues we just talked about and this is kind of a good example of it isn't it it is we're seeing huge changes in media even in my short time i've been in the the business uh we've seen just huge fluctuations for how the work is uh looked at how you move in your career, what are the expectations for your audience? And I would say for the most part, those are for the positive. But when it comes to making a livelihood, making money in news media, it is very difficult often. Uh, the story of G4 TV is some of you may remember back in the 2000s, there was this video game channel. It really had only two good shows for the most part. And then it would put on like reruns of cops and cheaters for like 12 hours a day. <laughs> Um, that was G4 TV. It did very well, though, for, for what it was. It got closed down. It really was pretty much winded down by 2009, but it was officially closed 2011. Well, the Comcast, you know, the giant billion-dollar media company, they decided they would bring it back, and they put it. They brought it back under their subsidiary Comcast Spectacor, which was run by the CEO of Comcast's son, Tucker Roberts. And so they decided they were going to bring back the G4 TV brand, but this time they would try to update it for the modern communication standards. So of course, places like YouTube and Twitch, but also they try to focus on linear. Uh, and this ended up being a just a fantastic screw up all the way around. 
Um, when they brought this back, there were several things that went wrong. Besides the fact that they decided they would have like seven different verticals they're focusing on. So they, it wasn't just for YouTube. It wasn't just for Twitch. It wasn't just for satellite or cable. It wasn't just for Roku. And I'm trying to think of the last one. They had, you know, by the end of it, seven different verticals, which means you have a team. So you have a team of eight, eight people, and they're supposed to make content for one of those verticals, say YouTube. They would expect them to make about 15 hours of content for a week. Now, times that by eight, and you can see the problem there. The other problem was G4 TV, Comcast really never understood their audience. And so when they brought back this brand, they tried to act as if nothing had happened, and they didn't really recognize where the games media were, where people were now, and they just weren't able to gain traction. So it's hard to tell totally whose idea it was, but last year, January, just a few months after they brought this back, uh, one of their hosts, Indiana Frosker and Black, who had previously, before uh, G4 TV, was a fairly popular uh, sportscaster for League of Legends, which is an esports game. And she decided to give this rant, and it was interpreted as sexism in gaming and, folk, and that the target audience was everyone in gaming. So this goes out. It's like three to five minutes. And the gaming media, they grab it. Uh, I'm glad I talked about them a little earlier here because it gives you a sense of the animosity the, in the relationship between the gaming media and gamers. And so the gaming media took this rant and they didn't say it was just uh, Frost has issues with people who are uh, attacking her at work or in her YouTube comments. No, they said, Frost, this is she is saying this about all the gamers and she should. All of you people are terrible. You're sexist trolls. We hate all of you. And so that's how this was interpreted. And of course, people pushed back very hard and fast. Now, first, everything seemed positive. You know, when Frost had the gaming media and when they were interested, it, it looked like maybe she'd win that PR war, but they lose interest. But all the haters, all the people, all the beehives that they had, you know, started whacking at, they did not forget. And they continued to be mad about it even till now. And it was, it wasn't really what killed G4 TV. Like Comcast bringing the brand as they did, handling it so badly as they did, they kind of pushed it next, put next to the cliff, but it was Frox that kind of pushed it over. And to this day, people still attack her. But the weird thing is, I noticed um, uh, just this last month was during this whole year of, you know, millions of YouTube hits, who knows how many uh, tweets on Twitter all this attacks on Frost, she had never really said much after that five minutes. There's like maybe three tweets she had made in all of last year about this topic, about her rant. And that seemed weird to me. So after a friend uh, got to interview one of her coworkers, I decided to try to reach out to her and her agent again. And to my surprise, they agreed to have Frost come on my show. And uh, she sat down with me for, oh, almost four hours. It's a great, like, two and 15 minute, two hours and 15 minute interview. And we get into a lot of that. And it turns out from her side, things, they are much more complicated. But the media system in which we live does not like complication. And it really, even though we seem to have more access to media than ever before, I think what people expect are takes that are more simplistic than ever before. And all that really hurt her badly.
Yeah, Peter Pitsky. Look, I don't. I didn't know her at all until basically you started covering it, and I went back and read it. So I, I think I'm pretty decently neutral when I watched that interview, and I watched it a couple times, and I took it in sections because it's a long interview, and we're going to link to it. It's on his Culture Scape page. Great channel. Make sure you subscribe to that. So I don't know all the particulars. I'm just watching it fairly neutral, right? Yeah. You can tell a lot of anger. Like I got a lot. Like, and I'm not talking about reactionary anger. I'm talking simmering. This is stuff that is not one rant or one incident or even one or two years. This is deep-seated stuff. This is deep-seated cultural stuff from the world that she chose to inhabit in the gaming world. This is not stuff that is unique to her. This is stuff we've heard from other places. But that's what I got from her. And aside from what she's saying, and there's a lot of he said, she said in here, and folks can parse that out as they will. I just got a lot of simmering anger at how this situation unfolded and then the reaction to it, which seems kind of disproportionate. Is that kind of a fair way to lay it out without getting into all the, you know, the rights and the wrongs and who did what to who that's just a general impression. I got just listening to it. Yes. I, it, it, people don't like to hear it necessarily because it doesn't please any particular side, but yes, the, the amount of negative attention and vitriol that this woman received was disproportionate to what she actually had done. And it completely ignored the very real and understandable extenuating circumstances that when she explains it and how corrupt Comcast is in running their media companies and all the shenanigans that went on there. While what she said wasn't great and it would be something that I particularly loved. I mean, I, I wrote critically about her many times before I ever got to actually talk to her as a person, as someone that's worked in media and as someone that kind of knows the gaming space, the relationship between the gaming press and gamers, she really got treated as, uh, you know, here's an example of the worst person in the world, which was completely uncalled for. But unfortunately, that's that's kind of the world we live in. And you would think with more information, people would have more patience or they would try to seek out more sides of a story. But the weird thing is about the Internet age, despite more access to information than anyone could ever possibly want, people actually seem to process it a little bit less fairly, a little bit less critically. Um, but that's not just something I've noticed. I mean, anyone that works in media or even entertainment has noticed that this has been happening. But it puts creators, it puts reporters, journalists, influencers, anyone with an audience in a weird position where sometimes you might, you know, when you have to zig and you were supposed to zag, when you were supposed to tell the, the hard truth or something uncomfortable, but it was a lot easier just to say what people like to hear. Currently, the, the common advice is just go with what people want to hear. And while you can say, hey, Frost should never have said this about gamers, I think it should be open that, hey, if she really feels like this is an issue with her particular audience, you know, let her say it. Let people hear her out. Even if it's something that you and I disagree, let people decide for themselves. But that's not where we're living in currently. Yeah, Peter Papisky, this gets back to where we started. And that's why I wanted to walk through a couple of the other things. First is criticism's too strong a word. But one of my takeaways from listening to that interview, and again, pretty neutral because I don't know all the parties involved. I'm not a huge gamer. I play a couple of games here and there. I don't really have a whole lot of time for it. Not my world, right? I just dabble in it when I'm mm -hmm. trying to cover it. It is also very clear to me that while she obviously feels the way she feels and she's entitled to, this is a great example of what we talked about. 
here you have a content creator and I don't, I mean that in a good way, content creator. That's what she is. A media personality that didn't understand the corporate side of the world that she was working in when you're working for a network, right? You're working in the corporate world and didn't understand the audience and the reaction that was going to come from that. Now, part of that she touched on that she felt like she kind of got set up to fail here with the way it went down. And I think that's fair to point out here too. This goes to that communication thing. You got to know your audience and the corporate world and that audience, they're just not on the same wavelength a lot of the time. And stuff like this happens where those content creators more and more, I think they're going to end up getting caught in the middle when they try to dabble in the corporate world and still retain their audience. Corporate big companies, they see the big numbers. They want their piece of the pie, but they don't understand how the pie was baked, nor do they really care all that much. That was the giant mistake here. Frost, when I talked to her, here was one of the few. Well, she said a lot that was surprising. I actually feel quite, uh, not me as a person, but my opinion of her and understanding the story widened significantly. And I almost makes me to the point where I feel bad because I feel like how I reported on her before, based on who I could talk to and the information I had, was uh, a bit too black and white. But uh, she kind of, like you said, got set up to fail. Comcast had decided to take that rant she made. Now, she thought, according to her own words, she had been asking to do, you know, these 15 hours times six amount of content every week. And so much of that was throwaway. And at that point, you're just on the, the content mill constantly. You're just trying to churn out as much content as you can get the, you know, the, uh, the organ monkey to grind. And so she, they said, hey, just, you know, you want to give this rant, talk about what you hate about in gaming as like kind of like a, a funny kind of sarcastic New Year's thing. She says, okay, sure. Now she thought in her head and they thought this is like going to be seem like, like 2000 people max, right? So not very big for how much money was put into this thing. But people at Comcast, they thought that this was almost old style was like any publicity is good publicity. And so that someone decided, I don't know if it was just marketing or if middle management was all, but someone decided they would take this rant for this specific audience and blow it up as big as possible. Get as many people to see it, get as many people as mad, and then hope that somehow this would turn into usable attention for Comcast. You know, it's like the old the old Simpsons meme. You know, it's like step one, you know, make every, yeah, step one, blow this up, make everyone mad. Step two, question mark. Step three, everyone loves us. They didn't really have a plan for how to transform that somehow to everyone liking them. And so Frost kind of got put in this position where she was used as this uh, lightning rod for all this vitriol that came their way, for people's feelings about what happened to the brand at Comcast, for people's feelings about how people in the gaming press treat people in their audience, you know, and just for the, the feelings about uh, influencers in general. And the ironic thing in all this is when I talked to Frost, she said, if they had asked me, I would have told them, no, do not post that. Do not post that. That is not a good idea. So Frost at some level did understand this was, was a bad thing to do, but Comcast, the giant corporation with all the money in the world, all the top experts, whoever they want, they could pay for it. They did not seem to understand. And I think when influencers and news people try to work with these companies, they should realize that there is going to be an information gap that if we are not careful, that's probably unbridgeable for us. Yeah.
Peter Pisky joining us. One other topic on this I want to hit real quick here. I want to take up for content creators and influencers, I think, is a little different thing because I think that gets a little icky. But I want to take up for the content creators for a second because I is one. For people that don't know, when you're saying something like 15 times three content creation, I don't know that the general audience fully appreciates what that means. Like for me to put out an hour long show five times a week, that's five hours of content. But that's about eight or nine hours per hour of content I put out to produce that. Like there's a three to one ratio on prep work when I do stuff. That's not making it. That's not editing. That's just preparing for it. Just real quick, talk people through that. I I don't know that maybe the corporate folks understand. They think you just sit in front of a mic and talk. There's so much more involved in that. I do want to take up for the people that think that ain't work and content creation isn't work. No, it's not. You're not in a coal mine and you're not tar on a road, but it's a lot of hours and it's a lot of effort. Definitely. No, that is a great point that people didn't really understand how that works. That definitely seemed very true, especially since so many people that were hired for Comcast Spectacore were people who had previously worked at Linear TV, especially for WWE Wrestling, oddly enough. And they did kind of have an older understanding of what it took to make content. But you were right. It is, you know, this is one thing I always get pushback for when people ask, you know, what what are the problems with journalism? What are the problems of the media? Why does it seem different than it, than it did before? And one of the things I usually point out is like the vast majority of people who work in journalism are not millionaires. Okay. These are people who, if they're lucky in most markets, will be able to get 60000 a year. Now, people don't like to hear that. What do you mean? Journalists journalists could be working class. Yeah, in fact, most of them are. Most of the people that you are influencing you, that you hear from, except for like the biggest of them, they are in that situation where they're not making much more money than anyone else. And the work that's that's part of that, it is a lot of work. It's so much prep work. It's so much connection, trying to, trying to get people to talk to you and to put together information. It's so much editing and production afterwards and then you know you have the work of just trying to get it out to people promotion it is a lot of effort and i think in some ways i'd hope that because everyone now seems to be kind of stuck in the content creation mind you know that more people would understand how much effort goes to it but it seems like content creators that aren't in journalism are some of the most vicious critics there are I think maybe that might change with time because I I feel like what's going to happen is that the journalism and those who are more just content creation influencers, I feel like those things are kind of sliding together. They're slowly kind of morphing into one thing. So that might change with time. But currently, despite, you know, like bigger audiences than ever, and they're consuming all this information, there doesn't seem to be more forgiveness. No, because human nature is still undefeated. It's just we figured out a way to supercharge it and get rid of a lot of the filters, which is something society, that's society-wise. That's politics, religion, music, whatever. That's not just gaming. That's just kind of part yeah. and parcel to the age we live in. Peter Pitsky, I love talking about this stuff with you because you have to explain it to me because I don't fully understand it. I'm glad you do it. People need to check out Culturescape. You do a great job with it, along with all your other writing. Let folks know what you got going on. You're a good friend of the program. We love having you on. But until we get you on again, let them know how they can follow you, keep up with you, and all these various things you've got going on, my friend. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So I'm, I'm at the moment, I'm a little frazzled because I'm recovering from a, a medical trip, but I am doing more research on the G4 TV issue. I have some op-eds I'm currently putting together that hopefully will come out soon. I'm enjoying Hogwarts Legacy and, uh, you know, just hanging out, enjoying life, always looking for uh, the next uh, big story. 
you know, so if you ever want to say hi or, or you have a story to share, whatever, you know, you can always find me on Twitter at Happy Warrior P. And uh, of course, please look up the podcast Culturescape. We put that out uh, once a week. It's usually uh, uh, I just find someone I find interesting. I interview them. We talk about what they do. And then we just kind of leave it as it is. And I love that format because it feels like I get to talk about the things that I care about. The people I'm talking to, they get to share what they care about. And we just kind of leave it up to people to decide what to do with it. And I, I think that is the optimum way to go. Keep things honest. Keep things fair. And I think if more of us would go in that direction and more of the audience would accept that that is an ethical thing to do, I have very positive feelings for the scope, the arc of where media is heading. But at the current place we are, it is a little bit anarchic. Yeah, well, you do good work, my friend. Even all the negative feedback with the with the frost interview even amongst that there was a lot of comments about how well you handled the interview so i'm glad you're getting the attention for that my friend we'll talk again very soon peter pitchkey thank you sir okay no thank you anytime yes sir Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Religion is at the intersection of our 21st century life, even if we don't express a faith. At a time when it seems that religion isn't as prevalent as it once was, it still leaves its mark everywhere. As a pastor, I know that religion isn't something I just do on a Sunday, but it's found in every nook and cranny of my life. Sexuality, politics, social media, the economy, war, nationalism, all have some kind of religious angle to them. And as a communicator, I want to find the stories that can help people understand this part of our society that is so important to so many. Hi, I'm Dennis Sanders, and I'm the host of Church and Maine. Church and Maine is a podcast about the journey of faith and where it intersects with modern life. I look at faith with a journalist's eye, asking the who, where, what, why, and how religion affects some of the major issues of the day. Join me as we journey together. You can listen to Church in Maine podcasts at the website churchinmaine.org or on your favorite podcast app. I look forward to seeing you. Folks, you've heard of Ethan Brown on the Hurt Tell Show a couple of different times, but if you're interested in learning about how to discuss things like climate change without all the politics and doom and gloom, head over to his podcast, The Sweaty Penguin. Sweaty Penguin is a late-night comedy-style climate podcast working to add nuance, critical thinking, humor, and hope to the climate conversation. they got over 100 episodes already, breaking down weekly news stories and specific topics, from the vanilla to the ADHD to the international accountability to orangutans. Yes, I know, it's a comedy thing, so just go with it. But each time, exploring different ways we can make progress on these issues while still helping the economy, health, security, and everything else we care about. 
feel overwhelmed, exhausted, or excluded by today's climate change discourse, this is the podcast for you. Find The Sweaty Penguin wherever you get your podcasts or at www.thesweatypenguin.com.